Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for this episode, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Master Carver, Jody Davis. You know him, you love him, his work is beyond exceptional, and he happens to be a really nice guy. The following podcast is brought to you by Monstrosity Pipes, which can only be found at Oompal.com. From the darkest corners of Oompal.com laboratories have emerged the pipes that ugly could not contain. Each one unique in the world, each one a monstrosity. Read the testimonials of these beasts from many prominent persons in the pipe world at Oompal.com, then adopt your own. Brave owners are listed on the Bravest Personages of Late page. An owner certificate and lifetime Ashes to Ashes guarantee comes with each one, and your donation helps to keep this beloved podcast alive. Be brave and puff slow, my friends. The Jody Davis podcast was recorded on January 18th, 2009. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. With us on the line today, we have the great American pipe carver, Jody Davis. Jody, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You can find uh, J. Davis Pipes online at www.jodydavispipes.com. All right. Um, before we start talking about your pipes, let's talk about your drawings, your shape drawings are really informed and elegant. Tell me about your artistic background and how drawing pipe shapes fits in. <laughs> oh, you know, I, when I was a kid, I just always liked to draw and paint and, you know, play around. My my mom was a painter, and, or, you know, not professionally, but she liked, you know, as a hobbyist and, and, uh, my dad also is uh, a pretty good artist, and uh, um, you know I just kind of kind of grew up doing that just for fun, and and uh, you know I think um, uh, drawing pipes is a really uh, a really good way to learn to see shape. Um, you know, once you, you know, if you can't, if you can't put it down in, in, uh, two dimensions, then it's pretty hard to pull it off in three dimensions, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, um, I'm a big believer in, uh, drawing a lot of pipes, you know, if, um, just, just to play around with shape, you know, and that way when you go into say, you know, especially freehand, um, helps you to visualize a little bit better, um, you know, because often, you know, oftentimes when you're working on a freehand, you're doing it, um, you're, you're following the grain, you're trying to work around flaws, you're doing, you know, it, it's very fluid, can't be very set in what you're going to do, and uh, so if you if you have these the ideas of proportion and shape already in your mind then that helps you uh create the shapes. You find yourself you find yourself drawing pipe shapes quite a bit. Uh yeah, you know, when a, a lot of times if I'm you know, I don't have a lot of downtime, but you know, when I'm um say on plane flights or any any time where I'm just kind of kind of stuck somewhere and and can't do a lot. I I will uh, pull out the drawing pad and just draw shapes and think about interesting things to do. What was the uh, impetus to uh, get you into making pipes? Uh, well, you know, I I got interested in pipes probably around 1995, probably, and. Uh, I used to um, uh, used to travel a lot, and I would uh, I started learning a little bit about state pipes, and um, I was kind of into antiques at the time, and, and I'd I'd go to all these antique stores in these different cities I'd I'd go to, and um, and I'd find pipes a lot of times. And the more I learned about state pipes, the more I started finding you know really nice old Marlings and Dunhills and old Sassinis and Camoys and you know just you know just all all the old old school pipes you know and mm -hmm. 
I really became sort of fascinated with the shapes and the wood and uh, and then one day I thought hey you know it'd be fun to try to make pipe and I I found a a kit you know like so many other pipe makers you know have done and found a kit somewhere and and kind of hacked out a pipe any way I could and uh, a good friend of mine was the buyer for uh, Uptown Smoke Shop at the time. His name's Keith Moore. And uh, I took it into him and was like, hey, I carved this pipe. And he was like, wow, that's pretty good <laughs> you know, for a first try. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, I he kind of encouraged me to keep doing it, you know. And so I just started buying kits and making pieces, and I'd take them in and he'd critique them and, you know, talk about them, and then uh, he's like, man, we've got to get you some better materials, and and, and so he's like, I'm going to call, I'm going to call Yes, Konovich, of course, mm-hmm. and, he's, and he's like, I'm going to call Yes and see if I can, you know, get him to sell you some materials so you can really get into this, so he, uh, he called Yes and talked to him and put me on the phone with him, and so... Um, you know, he has sold me some, some, some of his throwaways, I think, some briar and, <laughs> and, uh, which was, which were still a little great, actually. And, uh, when I look back at it, but, <clears throat> um, you know, sold me some briar and some stuff and gave me a little advice. And so I just started hacking away at it. And, uh, then, uh, probably the biggest change happened, you know, um, about a year later, I kind of worked up, uh, I'd worked up enough pieces to do, uh, one of the first, uh, Nashville pipe shows when they used to have that. And, uh, uh, so I, so I had, you know, a table full of pipes and got put next to Jim Cook and, uh, and, you know, we hit it off right away and just started you know, talking pipes within like 10 minutes and just sat there all day talking about, you know, shapes. And he, he the funny thing was he, he would ask me, so how, so how did you do this? You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would tell him these crazy ways I come up to with doing things, you know, carving them out and doing the stems and all the things over, you know, because I, I didn't really didn't know what I was doing. I was just making it up as it was going along. Mm-hmm. And he, he'd just laugh and just be like, man, you know, you really need to come up to my shop and learn the right tool for the job. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he said, man, you're doing everything but you and these things out of the wood, you know, so you need to come up to Vermont. And uh, so a couple of months later, I flew up to Vermont and spent a little time with Jim and, you know, everything changed at that point. Uh you know, I came back and retooled my shop and, you know, bought lathes and all this stuff and just went headlong into it. And there was, you know, immediately a 500% difference in the way the pipes were turning out. And uh, so at that time, you know, I was playing music and, uh, and so, uh, you know, Keith, he was looking at him. He's like, man, I, you know, I think I could sell these. And so, did a deal with him, and you know, kind of sold exclusively through Uptowns there for a few years. And as I kind of honed my craft a little bit, I mean, I look back now at those pipes, and I, I'm embarrassed that I sold anything. But you know, I, the timing was right, I guess, and you know, it worked out. Worked out okay. Didn't hurt me too bad. I don't guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, everybody's everybody's got to start somewhere, and I'm sure that uh, um, you, like a lot of other guys who have really made a, a great name for yourself, all have that same kind of story about looking back at your your earlier work. I think uh, that's probably very similar with with a lot of artists that way. Do you have any of those uh, pipe kits that you that you uh, worked on those first ones? <laughs> I've probably got them in a box somewhere around here. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering if you keep those around and look at them ever. 
no, no, I try to try to forget all about that. <laughs> I try to keep pipes around that will inspire me. <laughs> uh, besides Jim Cook, um, who were some of your other mentors along the way? Well, you know, like I said, you know, I got a lot of good advice from Yez and and a little bit from uh, from Lars Everson too. You know, it's just kind of just in, you know, kind of in and around those circles because that was who Uptowns was selling and that's, they'd bring them in for the shows, you know, and of course, you know, Keith always, was always kind of pushing me on, you know, pushing me on them, you know, going, hey, hey, wait, what can you tell Jody to help me? You know, so, <laughs> um, I think for him, you know, it was, it was, it was, um, of course he wanted to help me get better and learn, but, you know, I think he also wanted to be able to say, oh, well, these guys, you know, kind of helped help Jody along and you know it was kind of a good marketing standpoint for him you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but they actually uh, were very gracious and very helpful <clears throat> you know Yez was really good he he um you know helped hook me up with getting you know good ebonite and where to get briar and and um and uh Eventually, I, I went over to Denmark and spent a couple of weeks there. Spent a, spent a week with Lars and uh, his family, and and with with Yez and Bonnie, and wow, uh, and it was really a great experience. Uh, they're just really good people, and and uh, wish I could see them more. That is really cool. And uh, what great luck for you to uh, sit next to Jim Cook at that um, that Nashville Pipe Show. How cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was great. He's, he's been a good friend through the through the years. And, you know, we don't get to see each other that much. But when we do, it's always, you know, it's always great. There's, you know, a lot of good people in the pipe world. That's what makes it fun. What carvers, when you first started out, besides the mentors you just mentioned, or or you can mention them again if you want to, but what carvers <laughs> at the time uh, were really influential to you that made you say, yeah, you know, this is kind of why I want to do what I want to do? Um, well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I really, um, I really love all the old classic shapes, you know, and all the old classic pipes. I mean, 90% of what I smoke are straight billiards. Um, but, uh, you know, so I was, you know, I was always aware of the, of the really old, uh, you know, Dunhills and Sassinis and all those types of pipes. And, but as far as like individual artisans, you know, of course, he has Lars and, and Jim, all them being really influential, and and also Pierre and Ulf, uh with S Bang. You know, I just really loved uh, their finishes and and creative shapes, and always doing different things. Um, and you know, you know where what I, what I see like with Yez and Lars, they they kind of have developed their sort of signature shapes. And, you know, they have their look and the thing that they do, and they don't usually vary a whole lot from that, from that, mm -hmm. those of shapes that they do. And uh, Banks tends to, in my opinion, uh, branch out a little bit more and do a lot more different sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's kind of two different schools, I guess. Um, and I kind of draw a little bit from from all of them in that I try to I try to have certain shapes that I do a lot of and that are kind of, you know, sort of my thing. I mean, there's really nothing new under the sun, so it's pretty hard to, it's pretty hard to be original, but, you know, I have sort of certain things that I do and then, you know, from time to time try to throw something completely different in there and mm -hmm. help keep it interesting too. <laughs> um, what are some of the... Uh artistic inspirations for your work like um what's what's behind the uh the different ideas that you put into wood 
Well, it's really hard to to speak about really specific things. Um, you know, I, I kind of try to keep my eye open um, everywhere just for something that might be inspiring, you know. Um, be it architecture or nature or, you know, anything. I, actually, the other day I was watching something on the Food Channel about this chocolate maker in France, I think it was, and he was doing something really interesting art with this chocolate, and I was like, man, that would make a really cool pipe, a bowl for a pipe, <laughs> really inspired sort of this, you know, so this, you know, it's it can be anything, really. You know, yeah. it's just. So when can we? You know, expect, when can we expect the uh, Jody Davis chocolate pipe to come out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've got the sketches. I haven't. I haven't made it yet. But. You know, sometimes somehow I knew you did have the sketches. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how do you be, how do you begin working on a pipe? And judging from your drawings, I'm guessing that you start with paper and and somehow transfer those ideas onto the wood but tell me about the process yeah you know it's not it's not always um it's not always about drawing them first um i think i, I mean I, I do tend to do that it just depends on on what it is you know if if, if i have a um uh, a special order, depending on sort of the specifics of that, I'll draw it to make sure I've got all proportions the way I want, you know, the lengths and the heights, and, and just to know, all right, this is exactly what it's going to be, and then I'll even make a pattern from that to be, and, you know, try to sort of impose that on the, on the briar, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, a lot of times it's, it's such a, uh, you know, briar can be so random that, you know, you have to be willing to, you know, go, go other directions with it, you know, so it's, so it's, um, it's, I, you know, I'll do drawings, but a lot of times it's not specifically for that pipe, you know, it's more just to train my mind to think a certain way mm -hmm. so that I can make those adjustments mm -hmm. um, on the fly without having to sit down and redraw something. What do you find to be the most challenging part of pipe making? Is there any one thing that, that sticks out that's like, yeah, this is, uh, for whatever reason, this is the most challenging part? Or is it, or is there not one specific thing? Well, um, the thing about pipe making is that, you know, it's, it's basically... It's a it's a hundred individual little skills, you know, and you know I try to take every one of those steps and and learn that skill, you know, uh, to, the, to the best it can be. That's and I, and I you know it's always challenging because you're always trying to come up with a better way uh, of doing anything. It, it could be filing your stems. It could be, you know, buffing the lip button. It could be um, experimenting with stains and uh, it shapes. I mean, it's not just about shaping out a piece of wood. I mean, you're hand cutting stems and, and all the steps that are involved there and you're making, you know, I do a lot of these end caps on the end of the shanks and and uh, you know, fabricating those, um, you know, and they're all. You can you can just take every step to, you know, its fullest extent, and and you know, as as far as any one thing being the most challenging, you know, it's still all challenging to me. I mean, even if I'm going to make a straight billiard, which you know you might think would be the easiest, most basic pipe to make, you know, it's really also, it's very it's very easy to get it wrong. Now, people can make billiards, but if you're going to make one to the best it can possibly be, it's not easy to do. 
<laughs> you know, so it's it's um it's all challenging. Mm-hmm. You were in the music industry for quite a while. Tell me about that. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> 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 Got to be more specific. It's a very broad subject. <laughs> oh, I just heard you were. I thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. I, uh, of course, was a musician, uh, professional musician before I was bite maker, and uh, did that for fifteen years. And uh, um, you know, started making pipes, you know, for fun on the side, and and. Uh, Essentially, um, basically, uh, my daughter. When my daughter was born, about a month after she was born, she had a uh, kind of a a near SIDS incident, which left her uh, pretty severely handicapped. And so, after uh, after a while, it. Uh, just decided that you know I needed to come off the road and be there to you know take care of my daughter because she you know she just needs a lot of care and mm-hmm. it's just um, it was too hard being gone all the time and yeah. you know we have to hire nurses to help out and do all this stuff and it just didn't feel like it felt like at that time just you know I needed to come off the road and really the only other thing I knew how to do was make pipes. So, <laughs> wow, so I said, all right, I'm going to make pipes. <laughs> I didn't know about that. That's, that's really, um, that's really a, a touching story. And, um, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Oh, well, you're yeah. So, you know, um, so that was five years ago. Um, and then uh, now I'm actually, you know, now she's a little older and a little stronger, and and uh, uh, I'm actually going to go back and start playing a little bit of music again. <laughs> so, no kidding! Excellent. Come 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 back around uh, full circle, and you know, still making pipes, of course. But yeah, yeah. And what do you play? I play guitar. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite thing about being a pipe maker? Favorite thing? Yeah. Uh, I like. Um, I mean, I just really have always liked working with my hands, and and always had some kind of artistic outlet, I guess. And, and uh, I think that's a, a big thing. Uh, it's it's been nice to sort of have a lifestyle where. I am home work you know I work at home and and in there with my kids and family all the time and uh, that's been really good um, but uh, you know there's always something interesting in the shapes and it's always a challenge and um, I don't know there's there's not a lot to uh, to dislike about it other than uh, you know briar with big flaws in it or uh, <laughs> something like that <laughs> when did uh when did you first get wrapped up in pipes like wh- how did you uh stumble upon just pipe smoking or collecting pipes well i like uh, i think um um you know, as far as what got me interested in it originally, I had a one of my mentors in high school uh, was a guy named Vance Hayes. He was a, a musician and a choir director at school, and he was a pretty young guy at the time. You know, we we were really good friends, and, and he was a pipe smoker, and and uh, my grandfather smoked a pipe, and and my dad did for a short time. I think he, he, when he was trying to quit smoking cigarettes, I think he smoked pipe for a little while and then quit everything altogether. But uh, I don't know. I just kind of was kind of intrigued by it, I guess, and wanted to try it. It was like something that was uh, interesting, 
you know, an interesting hobby and, and kind of fun. And then, you know, just one thing led to another. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I started finding pipes at antique stores and then, you know, I was, I was hooked after that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, first getting sort of, sort of interested in, in the uh, whole estate pipe thing. And I, you know, I was into antiques. And I really liked old stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can identify kind of with connected that. Connected there, sure. so. <laughs> Do you still? Well, like, uh, I guess. Do you still get uh, estates anymore? Not really. I mean, every once in a while, if I see something that you know I can get really cheap and is really something cool that I if there's something about it I really like, I'll pick something up. But for the most part, you know, I've got so many pipes now. Yeah. <laughs> What's, what was your uh, strangest pipe purchase? Strangest pipe purchase? Yeah. You got an oddball that. in the lot? Uh, let me think. Strangest pipe purchase. Well, I have a very, uh, very huge, ornate, um, crazy-looking... Uh, Beckler Meerschaum. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like, it's like a foot and a half long. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's not even like, um, you know, it's carved in some odd sort of modernistic way. You know, it's not, it's not uh, any kind of like, you know, caricature or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I found it somewhere. I can't remember it. Picked it up, thought it was really cool, but uh, that's probably the strangest pipe I have, I would say. Where's your workshop at? Is it right there uh, in your house, like in a basement, or is it near your house? Yeah, well, I've got a uh, basically two-car garage um, that's attached to the house, and that's where my shop is, and uh, just right off. You know, the house there, I just cruise in and out throughout the day. Very nice. It's very convenient. <laughs> yeah. About how many pipes a year do you currently make? Uh, this year, or, you know, 2009, I made uh, pretty close to 125, I think. And, uh, of and course... That, now, is that, was that for 2008? Sorry, yeah, 2008. Sorry, I'm losing my mind. Um, yeah, this year it's probably going to be more like 80, I would say, because you know I'm going to do a little play a little music too, so it'll be down a little bit. But uh, you know, I don't think that'll be too bad a thing, seeing as the economy's you know having a rough time right now. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, what do people yeah. seem to respond to the most about your work? Uh, I would say uh, the two biggest things people generally, I, I get a lot of people that say that, you know, they take almost no break in, you know, the smoke's you know, tastes great the first time you smoke it. Um, and, you know, that's, Comfort in the stems, which to me is a really important aspect, um, just because you know a majority of the, of the time, you know the pipe's in your mouth, and if the stem isn't comfortable, then no matter how beautiful you think a pipe is, you know you will eventually you'll stop smoking it, smoke other pipes <laughs> that yeah. are comfortable, you know. Yeah. So I try to be very consistent in the, in the way the pipes feel in your teeth. Um, and so I get, I get a lot of good feedback about that. Do you ever find it difficult to part with a pipe that you've spent so much time on? Uh, you know, I think early on that was more of an issue. You know, you you really pour your heart and soul into something and and uh, you know yeah you want to you want to hang on to it but you know after you've made a few hundred pipes that kind of goes away 
like, yep, it's nice. All right, I'm ready to move on to the next one. (laughs) Does one ever catch you off guard and you're like, you know what? I just got to keep this one. (laughs) Well, like I said, I can't afford to smoke my own pipes. So usually I, uh, I, uh, if I really love something, then, you know, I'll say, you know what? I'll make myself one of these here one of these days. But, uh, that seldom ever happens. <laughs> Every time I've made myself a pipe, I've sold it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever kept any that you've had um, problems with? Oh yeah, that's usually what what I keep. If there's been an issue with the with the wood, or you know, and I've got it to a certain point, um, I will. Those are the ones I'll I'll say. Well, you know, I can't sell it, so. I'll just finish it out and smoke it myself. Yeah. And uh, so those are usually the ones that that I smoke. I mean, I've got a few sentimental pieces. I, I made uh, when my first daughter was born. I I uh, kept the pipe I was working on that day and smoked that. And then, um, and of course, when my second daughter was just born, she's only seven months old now. Uh, I uh, made a pipe to commemorate that. And, uh, so, yeah, I, I keep a uh, few pieces more, um, you know, for sentimental value. I, I still have the, the pipe that I made in Jim Cook's shop when I was up there and still smoke that one. And, and uh, There's yeah. some something about those pipes um that carry sentimental value that that certainly like to hang on that's really cool that you made some when your daughters were born that's a great idea yeah and i stamped them you know with their name and the date oh wow very cool what a neat idea do you have any favorite shapes that you like to make more than other shapes hmm well Um, you know, I, I like making classics, um, and, you know, I still find them to be interesting and challenging, and, and uh, but I like, I, I like making different freehands, too, you know, it's just, that's sort of a, sort of a mood that that comes and goes, you know, as far as like what your favorite thing is to make, you know, some days you're just working on something that you've made 50 times and you're enjoying every minute of it, you know, and other times you're, um, you know, can work on the same shape and be like, oh, this is just drudgery. I don't want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So, So you kind of, you know, Wax and wane all all the time about yeah. you know, what shapes are fun or what what's what's the most fun for you at the time. Is there a favorite shape that you like to smoke more than any others? Yeah, I, like I said, uh, I I like uh, basically straight, mostly billiards. And I've got a, an old Camoys Dublin that I love, and uh, basically just straight classics. Well, yeah. I like uh, um, I've never I've never taken to pipes with very much of a band in them. Maybe a very slight one, but that's all. I mostly just like straight pipes. When you're not I'm, I'm more of a you know functional kind of smoker, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not making pipes, what do you like to do? Make music, I guess, obviously, and hang out with your family. I'm guessing is going to be in there somewhere as well. But well, you know. Pretty much, once you uh, get past making pipes and hanging with the family, there's not a lot of time for anything else. But I, I'm pretty into uh, into uh, coffee, actually. Really? And uh, yeah, I had taken to um, uh, sort of roasting my own beans. And, and sort of learning about the the whole coffee world, had worked on restoring a couple of uh, old espresso machines, commercial machines, and and uh, 
you know, just that whole aspect of it. Learn, you know, it's actually it's interesting because it's very similar to uh, sort of the pipe tobacco world and that, you know, a bean's origin and its quality and the different blends that you make depending on the, you know, the quality of each bean uh, can be very. Uh, uh, very intense, very complicated, you know, it's, it's very, it's sort of similar to that and sort of similar to like, uh, you know, the, the world of wine, you know, how they find all these subtleties in the flavor and mm-hmm. food and that sort of thing. And that's kind of, uh, there's a culinary side to coffee that, that is like that also. There's not as many people know about it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to play with. I've just always been a coffee lover, so yeah. once you start roasting your own beans though, you're spoiled. Really? <laughs> and it's just it's hard to drink coffee anywhere. I mean you can't even I mean it's you know, mo a good portion of the cafes, you know, aren't serving fresh coffee or you know, it's not you know, so it's it's hard to go in I mean you even you know Starbucks and all that guys, you're just like, oh, this is just swill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. go make my own coffee. This stuff is horrible. I'm go pull my own shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's you know, you know, commodity coffee is good in a in a pinch if you got nothing else. But man, it's just it's just hard hard to drink once you you know it's like going to like going to the drugstore and Picking up a, you know, picking up a cheap pipe tobacco and yeah. trying. Okay, it's just like, phew, no, this just doesn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> what's I mean, your, some uh, people. Hey, you know. what's your take on cold drip coffee? Cold drip coffee? Yeah, have you ever made any of that? No, you know, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've heard of it, and I've known people that have done it, but. But I've never gone that direction. We did that for a while here, and it's it's really interesting. It takes a lot of the acid out, and so what you're left with is a a really really smooth paste, which is something I've never quite experienced before. It was we don't have our our slow drip thing anymore. It's it's something that uh, when the kids came along, um, it got to be a little bit more time than I was willing to devote to it, but it was, and, and it's nothing, not nearly the same as what you're doing when roasting your own beans and whatnot, but, you know, it still takes a little bit of time and, and effort and energy, so, but um, it's really neat. If you should check it out sometime, let me know what you think. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's it's kind of a, um, it's such a, a different um so completely different from all the areas that you know when you're looking at espresso and and um, all these other brewing methods it's it's such a it's like a complete 180 uh, you know I, I just don't know anything about it being I, it would be interesting to look into it it's the because I mean you know here I am you know the way that I'm looking at stuff is there you know you're looking at brewing temperatures and um, you know, in in the amount of time it's taken to pull a shot, and you know the temperature of the water and the pressure that you're using, and all this kind of stuff, and so like cold brewing is completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a di- it's really a different animal completely. In yeah. Ways. Do you have a favorite pipe tobacco or one that you smoke more than others? Anyway. Yeah, I've got you know I've got a a couple that that. Um, are my mainstays. Uh, for years, I've smoked uh, exotic mixture from Smokers Haven. Uh, it's just been, you know, 90% of what I'd smoke would be that. And uh, much to uh, Primmel's chagrin, um, there's been a new pipe tobacco that's been kind of pushing that out a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, um, uh, see, the Hearth and Home Blend, uh, Larry's Mixture, I think it's called. Okay. Larry's Blend or Larry's Mixture, something like that. 
um, that stuff just knocked my socks off. And uh, I've been uh, smoking that ever since. And still go back to exotic every once in a while, but it's kind of been the last uh, six months. Been uh, smoking a lot of Larry's mixture. I, I, you know, I like English blends, you know, Orientals and Latakia, and it's really very. When it comes to like straight Virginias, very maybe once or twice a year will I ever smoke this Virginias. Really? Yeah. It's, uh... yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, English tobaccos myself. I very rarely smoke any Virginias. Um, <clears throat> you have a favorite pipe that you smoke more than any other? Uh, let's see. I have uh, I have a few, a couple of billiards of that I've made that I smoke a lot. Um, I've got a Conovich billiard, uh, bamboo billiard that I smoke a lot. And, uh, and I have a, uh, blasted, uh, a bang and also have a little, an Everson sort of a billiard kind of his sort of take on a, on a billiard. And, uh, they're all straight. You know, I've got that, the uh Kamoy's Dublin that I that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing. Um as far as like the smokeability of some of the old pipes that I have, most of them I've turned around and modified them. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> so, modified modified the drilling and I've mm-hmm. sort of, you know, blueprinted them to more like how I make pipes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know, they make some smoke. Great, so. So it's like Kamoy by Jody Davis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did all the shaping and everything, but, you know, I might have um, re-drilled the stem and uh, touched it up a little bit, maybe made it a little more comfortable. Uh, actually, you know, I find that the old, really old Dunhills and the old Kamoys, uh, you know, they, they really, they knew how to cut a stem back then, you know, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find them to be really good, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, like, in the 50s and the 40s and um, even in, in the 60s. Um, usually they don't need any reshaping to be comfortable, but, you know, sometimes I might uh, do some adjustments on the internals to make all the airflow be nice and smooth. And, and, uh, That's interesting. What do you think happened... Um, do you think it was just a production question or uh, maybe um, somebody changing jobs as far as a foreman or something like that goes? Is, why do you think the uh, stems from the older um, Dunhills would – or, you know, pick a name – would be made so much better than the ones that came along later? Um, yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I mean there's a lot of reasons why companies do things and um you know and and different people you know if they're these stems are being hand cut you get uh different guys working the line you know they're going to do them a little bit differently mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i just the the standards in the in the earlier part of the century were seemed to be a little bit different and uh uh Things seem to be a little more, you know, the attention to detail seemed to be a little better. Uh, I don't know if, you know, if it's, you know, the company is growing or the company is downsizing that would cause them to, to change, you know, a little bit. I mean, when you kind of think of it from a, you know, a, from a business standpoint, you know, I'm sure that, you know, they're trying to find, you know, cheaper ways to get the work done and. You know, maybe, you know, pushing them to work a little faster or, you know, or just could just be different people, you know. And yeah. It's hard to say. Tell me a little bit about your grading. The uh, sandblast grades, I guess, w- would be uh, – uh, they're called fryers, and uh, there's a – now I offer three different finishes. Um there's a black sandblast, 
uh, and what I call an amber blast, which is a um, which is a contrast finish done uh, on a sandblast pipe, where you you uh, don't just see the growth rings, but you can actually see the grain of the wood. So you can see the straight grain as well as the relief of the growth rings, um, and with, with a contrast finish, and kind of a my own super secret way of of doing it. Although I've I've taught a few other pot makers how to do it, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know it's um, it, it's kind of a unique process that allows that to to happen and. <clears throat> One of the uh, one of the few things that I feel like you know was able to actually bring something different and innovative to the table with with that finish, um, but uh, uh, and then I have uh, I'll, I'll do natural uh, finishes too, which basically they're just waxed, and uh, uh, so the um, the the naturals and the amber blast. Are A grade fryers. Um, it's it's kind of a complicated system here, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the, if they if they have uh, some kind of embellishment like a like a uh, an end cap or a band on the stem, that would make them A grade fryers. Um, if they don't, if if a, a natural or an amber blast doesn't have any other embellishments, just a pipe and a stem. That would be a B grade. Then with the black blast, uh, a C grade fryer is the one with uh, embellishment on it, and the D grade has no embellishment. So okay. that's how A, B, C, and D comes into play. Okay. Uh, then the next step up would be an Abbott. An Abbott is partially blasted, partially smooth, for the most part. Um, and basically the A, B thing, uh, you know, is if it has some kind of embellishment, it's an A. If it doesn't, it's a B. Okay. Uh, also, now, there, there is sort of an exception to the rule. If, um, if I make a, an exceptionally large... Um, uh, sandblast piece, it could be stamped and added also. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's a fairly complicated system, but <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense in the end. If you... Yeah, it works out. Okay. Yeah, so basically what I do with the all the fryers, there's very specific price points for mm -hmm. each one. The Abbots, because there are a lot of variables, it's basically... They're priced per piece. Um, then, um, the, in, in the smooth finishes, there is Bishop, and it's Bishop A and B, you know, with embellishment or without. Mm -hmm. And then, then the next grade up is Cardinal uh, A and B. And then there are Saints A and B, which are, the Saints are actually the highest grade. Mm -hmm. But in the Saint, if there is one piece that is even more exceptional than the Saints have been, it uh, gets a halo stamp. And that is the cream of the crop. You know, only one or two a year of those come up. Wow. So. How did you come up with uh, the names? What was the inspiration there? Um, I think, uh, you know, at the time when I was working on, you know, figuring out a grading system and, and everything, uh, I was um, studying Catholicism a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought, well, here's an interesting... Um, Here's an interesting and recognizable hierarchy that I can apply to uh, my grading system, so that person can say, "Oh, well, this is a bishop." So, right, kind of get the idea. Well, it falls in this area, and oh, this is the same. This is the the highest, you know. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, when the paint gets the halo, that's the absolute best. So. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, today being Sunday, January 18th, and just two days ago was the um, um, anniversary of the outlawing of Catholicism back in 1581. <laughs> so, interesting that you'd bring that up. <laughs> Why I know that, I'm not really sure, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> can we talk about the P&T Pipe of the Year? Sure. Okay, so you're going to be... Um, or, or actually you've already made, but, uh, your pipes will be the next pipes and tobaccos magazine pipe of the year. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, sure. Uh, the, um, 2009 pipe of the year, uh, Chuck Stanion approached me about a year and a half ago at the Chicago show and, uh, yeah, Chicago show. And asked me if, uh, or explain explained to me that uh, PNT Magazine was now starting to um, move away from uh, doing uh, factory pipes for their pipe of the year, and uh, you know, starting with Jim Cook again, um, going to move into doing uh, artisan pipes mm-hmm. and uh, doing doing fewer of them and. Yeah, because you know, if I had to make 200 pipes for P&T Magazine, I'd, I'd be years working on that project. So, <laughs> uh, so thank goodness it's only 50 pipes. But still, it took me a year and a half to get them done. So, <laughs> wow. so uh, but, uh, when will those yeah. 50 pipes be available? Uh, I believe in the next issue that comes out, they will uh, be advertising them. Uh, for sale, so I'm not sure. Does it come out in March or even February? You know what? I'm not. I'm not sure. I know that I shipped them out uh, about a week ago, and you know it was kind of uh, you needed to get them to take pictures. So I know it's coming up pretty soon. <laughs> Can you t- um, tell me what they look like? Uh, let's see. It's kind of a, it's actually a freehand shape, so, you know, no two of them are exactly alike, but um, it's kind of a, how would you say, it is a bent, um, kind of Dublin-esque, Calabash-esque, kind of, you know, I'm not exactly sure how to classify it, mm-hmm. um, pipe width, uh, has a teardrop shank. Uh, where the uh, you know the shank sort of shaped teardrop and has um, then an end cap on the shank and the stem. Uh, the it will be available in uh, in Friar uh, C, C Friar C's, which is the black with the uh, end cap, uh, and Friar A's, which are the amber blast with an end cap. And Cardinal A's and Saint A's, and uh, the uh, all the uh, Cardinal uh, and the Friars have Cocobolo wood as the end cap, and the Saints have ivory, and they all have black ebonite stems. What color are the Cardinal and Saints? Uh, they are essentially my sort of. Uh, sort of orangish golden contrast finish. Okay. Very neat. I can't wait to see those. Yeah, it was quite a quite an endeavor making fifty of one shape. <laughs> it was fun though. You actually learn a lot. Um, kind of, you kind of learn to refine some of your processes when you have to make that many of one shape. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it is a good learning experience, but you know it can it can wear you down too. <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun. It was an honor to be you know chosen to do it. And, uh, 
That, that's got to feel really neat. I mean, everyone knows your work all around the world, and and of course it it commands, um, you know, some some just wonderful reviews everywhere, and uh, so it's no surprise. But um, it's still very it's it's got to feel um, very special to be able to, you know, be in PNT as a pipe of the year guy. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's a it's a great honor because I know when I first got into pipes, um, it's when Pipe and Tobacco magazine first came out, and I have every issue that's ever been printed. And uh, starting, you know, I got that first issue when it came out, and you know, it's it's been a very influential magazine for me. You know, I I, I would just you know read every article and stare at every pipe in those magazines for hours, you know. <laughs> and uh, so it's really great to, you know, be a part of of uh, that legacy, I guess you could say. Yeah, they've done so much for the community, and I know that pretty much everybody out there has been touched by that magazine in some way, shape, or form. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's really something. Yeah. What can we expect from Jody Davis in 2009? Now, we've already talked about the um, Pipes and Tobacco magazine Pipe of the Year. So outside of that, which I'm anxiously awaiting, I can't wait to see what those look like. Besides that, what else can we expect from you in 2009? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, um, I kind of I don't have any uh, really specific plans. I kind of you know let my let the wind and and my motivations move me, you know, as I go and and you know, I'm sure that uh uh I, I think it's going to be an exciting year with the P&T pipes coming out and and uh you know, I I I've, I've got a lot of uh a lot of ideas, a lot of sketches, and things. Uh, hopefully, that I can start uh, bring bring to fruition. And and uh, I think uh, you know, I'm just always keeping my mind open to to new things. So, you know, I'm excited to see what happens too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That sounds great. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today, Jody. I really appreciate uh, it. Great talking to you. At this part of the interview, I asked Jody if there was anything else that he wanted to say uh, before we wrapped it up. You know, okay. I just kind of thought, thought of something that would be uh, good to include. It, okay, cool. It reminded me whenever you said that, because um, some people that I would like to include in the interview mm-hmm. um, uh, would be definitely be, you know, Todd Johnson, because, you know, we – both started about the same time, um, and, you know, we kind of, you know, I think influenced each other a little bit and sort of helped each other, and, um, and, and actually, you know, he, he, um, sort of, um, you know, there's, there's kind of two different schools of pipe making where you, you know, there's kind of the, the, the more French or English style where you turn bowls on a lathe and that sort of thing. And um, then there's the the Danish freehand style of making pipes. And there are two different processes where you hand drill. And uh, and uh, Tom's actually, he had learned from Tom Iltang mm-hmm. how to hand drill. And, and he showed me the process of doing it. And so that sort of was, was also... You know, I was already doing freehands, but I was doing them in a different way, and that sort of uh, 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 changed the way I did things a little bit as far as the, the freehand uh, uh, pipe making. You know, because he sort of passed on that information that he he had uh, learned from Tom, and uh, and and then also uh, Mike Lindner, you know, another guy that started out about the same time. Um, we. Uh, we worked have worked a lot together because he for a while he uh, um, he lived in L.A. Uh, and his shop was still in Detroit and of course you know he ran the pipe rack so you know he was still doing all that uh, 
on the computer, but he didn't. The only place he had to work when he was in L.A. was at my shop in Yuma, which was like five hours away. <laughs> so he would come in uh, every month, you know, and and work for you know four or five days, and mm-hmm. and you know do some. He would do a lot of his bamboo work here and and uh, blasting and stuff, and just you know pipes in general because he he didn't get back to Detroit, but every every couple of months, you know, so, um, uh, so, you know, that's someone that's, you know, they've all been in, influential in that way, and, uh, and then sort of here, um, more recently, you know, uh, Jeff Grasick lives over in San Diego, and, and when he first moved there, he didn't have a place to sandblast or do anything, so he would come here and work so we worked together a whole lot and uh then you know i mean we we become good friends and go back and forth and work in each other's shop and uh and uh so those are just some guys that i would like to sort of mention in my sort of history and group of friends there that that uh, i think we've all influenced each other and and uh have uh helped each other evolve as pipe makers, you know. It's kind of a nice camaraderie, uh, I think, with American pipe makers. Uh, We look at each other um, as competition as much as, you know, we like to pull for each other and try to pull up the quality, you know, as a whole of American pipe making, you know, and bring it up to, you know, the the highest standards. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I and I can even say you know Brad Pullman uh, he, in the last you know few few years uh, has been through here and and uh, you know we've talked on the phone a bit and hang out in shows and you know and his his work's really great and has really come a long ways um, and. You know, he's kind of part of that group too, where we we're all just yeah. There's just a lot of good guys nowadays, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you see guys coming up like Adam Davison and um, um, oh, and Rad, you know, Rad Davis is doing some really great stuff. And, oh yeah, yeah. So, but you know, but these are people that sort of stick out to me as far as you know, really good established guys that have, you know, you know, it seems like the, you know, there's kind of a new wave, you know, there was, there's the, there's the old school, we always call them the old school guys, you know, like, uh, you know, American pipe makers, uh, Bona Christy and, uh, Jim Cook and, uh, you know, there's Kensky and, and those guys. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, then there was kind of this, the second wave of guys that come in, you know, Todd and, and, uh, Mike Lindner and me and, you know, Larry Roush kind of got back into it, uh, you know, about that same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now there's, uh, that next wave starting to hit pretty good now, you know, and, and it just seems like with every wave, there's just, you know, really talented guys that are interested in it and getting into it and, you know, it's funny in, in this uh, in this time where there's probably the least amount of pipe smokers. Uh, you know that there's been in in a hundred years. There's probably the the best artisans that have ever been involved in pipe smoking and uh, in pipe making. Um, so, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see where it all goes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's there's so much great work going on and. Um... It's it's neat to see what everybody's working on and to see just uh, what level of of engineering and artistry that goes into uh, these wonderful pipes that you guys are are making. It's really something else. Well, hopefully, you know there'll there'll always be enough pipe smokers to keep it going, and they won't. Uh, outlaw the whole thing before it's all over with. 
Well, if they do, um, you know, I have your phone number and we'll get together and have like a bunker somewhere <laughs> where we <laughs> store everything. <laughs> That's a, a pipe bunker. A little underground world of pipe smokers. Yeah. Pipe makers. We'll have okay, to live well, cool. by the barter system, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that concludes my chat with Jody Davis. As you heard, we ended on a high note where pipe smoking is illegal and visions of bunkers and barter systems abound. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was made possible by Monstrosity Pipes. Only the brave or slightly insane own a monstrosity. Go to oompal.com and choose your beast today. I'm Oli with oompal.com, wishing you very good luck at figuring out which Jody Davis pipe will be next in your collection. <laughs>